Welcome, and thank you for viewing our weekly sermon. I'm Pastor Malone, and I pray this message be a blessing to you and help you grow closer to Jesus. If you'd like to know more about having a personal relationship with Jesus or to connect with us as a church, please visit westacres.org. Thanks again, and God bless. Amen. Thank you, Rob and choir, and thank you so much for being here today on Father's Day and just thinking of the gift we have to call God our Father. When Jesus uh, taught his disciples how to pray, uh, he said this. He said, pray like this, our Father. He doesn't say my Father. He says our Father. You know what that's a reminder of for us today? That we're not just to have church in our own little house doing our own little thing, but we are a family. We call him our Father because we're a family. And I think I just want to say thank you so much uh, for being a part of that family today, uh, for joining us for worship. I'm going to invite you to turn your Bible to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, we're uh, taking a break from the book of Acts uh, today for uh, this Father's Day. And if you're just joining us, I do want to let you know uh, on a regular Sunday we're going through the book of Acts verse by verse. Um, so if you join us in future Sundays, uh, that's something you can be a part of. Um, but today we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 11. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. And this is a very familiar parable. In fact, it's so familiar that I believe everyone in this room knows this story. Even if this is your first time setting foot inside a church house. I believe you've heard this story. It is so familiar. But Luke chapter 15, verse 11, please stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word. Jesus is addressing the, tax, uh, he's addressing the Pharisees uh, with this parable uh, because they were pretty much grumbling at him because he would eat with sinners and tax collectors. So that's something to be mindful of while we're reading this text. But Luke chapter 15, verse 11, it says, And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had. He took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything... A severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into those fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. 
But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Let's pray. Father, I pray you please open our eyes uh, to your word today. Thank you so much for this beautiful story. And Father, I pray the beauty of this story will become a reality uh, for those in this room today. A reminder for those who already know of your goodness and your love. But Father, if there's someone here today who, who doesn't know about your amazing love, I pray they will leave here knowing that love. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our passage today may be seated. Our passage today is most commonly known as the parable of the prodigal son. However, this story could also be called the parable of the loving father. Because if you look at this story, really and truly, the main character of this parable is the father. He's mentioned 12 times explicitly. Also, the main idea of this passage is the father's love. So that's going to be the title of our message today, The Father's Love. But to understand the Father's love, especially in this story, we first have to know the context. Uh, what is behind this story? What is so amazing about this love? Well, our story today begins with this man's youngest son asking for his inheritance. And I, I just want you to know this. It, it wasn't uncommon for a man to divide his estate before he died. Many people do that today because they don't want there to be a mess when they die. Uh, it, so it wasn't uncommon. But what was uncommon was for a son to ask his father for his inheritance. It was an outrageous request. It was, it was extremely disrespectful. In other words, this is what the son was saying to his dad. Give me my money. I wish you were dead. That is what he's saying to his father by asking for his inheritance. The surprising part of this story is this. The father gives it to him. The father gives it to him. And I started thinking of that. Sometimes our father lets us have the things we want sometimes, right? And we have to learn the hard way. The father grants him his request. Soon later, the younger son gathers all his money. He liquidates all his assets. And he moves to a far country. Now, to the original audience uh, that was listening to Jesus at this time, namely the Pharisees and the Jews, uh, this, would have, this would mean that this son was leaving Israel, and he was going to a Gentile nation. He was going to a place of paganism. He was going to a place of immorality. He was going to be able to live it up freely in sin. In that faraway country, uh, verse 13 says this, though, and it's so quick, it's so quick, he squandered his property in reckless living. Reckless living could also be translated loose living. It means he, he lived in just uh, extravagant spending. Extravagant spending on bad things. But it also meant he just indulged in whatever he wanted to do. In sin and immorality. For a very, very short season, this young man lived it up. He had the time of his life. He was living in the pleasures of sin. Church, do you know that there's pleasure in sin? I know by personal experience there's pleasure in sin. 
But I also know that the Bible teaches me that there is pleasure in sin. Think of this story uh, in Hebrews chapter 11. It's referring to Moses from the Old Testament. It says, By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God, rather to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Sin brings pleasure. There, there's, no, there's no denying that. But did you catch that one word? They are fleeting pleasures. It means they don't last. That pleasure grows legs and runs away, and you are never fulfilled. You are always looking for more and for more and for more. You name it. If it's alcohol, there's, you're always looking for another drink. If it's for the, the nasty things we see on the internet that people get entangled in, it's never enough. One more picture. One more movie. It's never enough. It doesn't last. This man was living the so-called high life of sin. But what do we learn in this story? That high life eventually brings you to the low life. It leaves him low and it leaves him empty. Verses 14 through 17, we see this young man hit rock bottom. It says he spent everything. I, I can just picture him now. He is the one that's paying the bar tab. He is saying, drinks on me. Let's go out and eat. Man, I got it. Let's do this. Oh, man, I'll take care of the bill. You don't have to worry about that. Man, we got this. I got this. I could just see him now just being so lavish and extravagant in his spending. That lets us know why he doesn't have anything. <laughs> there was no wisdom. <laughs> he spends everything but there's a second part of our story. It says a severe famine came into that far country. And we, we know already just from history, but also from the Bible itself, a severe famine wasn't just a week-long drought. It wasn't just this short little season with no food. It was severe. People would go to extremes. They would eat things they would never think of eating on a regular day. Famine was a serious thing for anyone, but especially for someone who didn't have a dime to their name, didn't have any resources, didn't have a home close by, didn't have a family system to go to. This young man was in trouble. This leads to his utter desperation, but this also leads to the pig pen. It leads to the pig pen. To Jesus' original audience, this would have been so alarming because pigs were absolutely disgusting to Jews. You would not have a Scania's barbecue in Israel during this time, okay? It was a Jew's worst nightmare because the Bible deemed pigs. I'm so glad God changed the rule on that one, ain't you? I like some barbecue. But the law deemed pigs is unclean. This young man's not only getting close to pigs, he, he, he's feeding pigs, and he's, he's longing to eat what the pigs are eating. He is so hungry. And the pods they're talking about, this was edible for pigs, but this would be inedible for humans. He doesn't receive anything. Do you see the irony in this story? Hey, he goes to his father, this gracious and generous father. He says, give me my money. I'm out of here. I, I want to be fulfilled. The father gives him what he wants. Gives him what he wants. It just seems like a minute later he's over here and he has 
nothing. In fact, when it says he became in need, have you ever thought about this? This is the first time this young man ever experienced need. Because he didn't have need at his father's house. His father took care of him. His father took care of everything. His father was a generous man. But here he is in need. He, he left home to be filled, but he ended up being empty. Moreover, it says no one would help him. I was thinking about this, thinking about his worldly friends. Some of y'all know this by experience. You have those worldly friends, uh, friends that you did worldly things with. Where are they when you need help? Nowhere to be found. Nowhere to be found. No one would help this young man. While the pig pen is indeed the lowest of lows, the pig pen is the greatest thing that ever happened to this young man. Because the pig pen is where he comes to his senses. The pig pen is where he finds himself. He comes to himself. Uh, look at verses 17 and 20 through 20. It says, But when he came to himself... He said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. When he talks about his father's hired servants, he's not talking about the, the servants that were on the regular payroll. He was talking about a day laborer. Someone that would just show up on the property saying, I need work, I need work. And they would hire him for a day. And, and Jewish law said this, if you hired someone for a day, you had to pay them that day. But what does he say about his father's day laborers? He says they have more than enough bread. What does that have to say about this father? Was he a tightwad? No. He was a generous, generous man. Verse 18. He not only starts thinking about his father. It's one thing to feel remorse. It's one thing to feel sorry about things. It's one thing to feel guilty about things. But it's a whole other thing to say this. I will! He says... Verse 18, I will arise and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. Right here we have a prayer of repentance. He not only says he sinned against his father, but he recognizes that he has sinned against God. And that is where all sin is an offense to first and foremost. It is to God. It says he arose and came to his father. Now the story shifts and it starts focusing on the main character in this story. This part of the story is incredible because the Jewish audience, they would have been expecting retribution. They would have been expecting punishment. They would have been expecting rejection. That's what the Jews would have been expecting. And I believe many people that hear this story today, if you were to be honest with yourself, that's what you would expect as well. But what's amazing about this story is the son doesn't receive any of those things. He doesn't receive rejection. He doesn't receive uh, punishment. But he receives open arms. He receives the amazing love of the father. And I'm, I'm going to go ahead and just let you know, if you haven't caught on, caught on already, uh, the father in this story represents our heavenly father. Our heavenly father. So let's look at this amazing love of the heavenly father. The first thing we learn is this. His love is patient. His love is patient. It says the son arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. This father was not living his days out, going to Hardy's, saying, I can't believe you don't even get me started on my son. I can't stand him. 
You won't believe what he did. I will never be able to forgive him. He wasn't staying at home being bitter, just dying of bitterness. But this father was waiting patiently every day with hopes and prayers that his son would come home. Pastor Michael Catt of Shearwood Baptist Church, I'm not sure if you heard this, but he passed away this past week. His funeral is going to be tomorrow, I believe. But I was doing a Bible study, and it had to do with uh, the fatherhood of God. And he had to say this about our Heavenly Father. Our Father is not the kind of Father that abandons us. He's not the kind of Father that beats us. He's not the kind of Father that curses us. But He's the Father that sits on the porch waiting for the Son to come home. Our Heavenly Father's love is patient when we choose to live in sin, when we choose to live in our mess, our Heavenly Father is patiently waiting and longing for us to get up out of our mess and come home to Him. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says this, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God desires for all to come to Him. His love is patient. Secondly, His love is compassionate. Let's look at verse 20 again. It says, And He felt compassion and ran and embraced Him and kissed Him. Uh, that word compassion uh, means to be utterly moved within. It, it says, it actually it refers to your bowels, but I, I guess I don't need to refer to a bowel movement in church. Um, but utterly moved within, moved with pity, moved with affection. Uh, throughout the Gospels, Jesus showed compassion to various people. Uh, we see one example in Matthew's Gospel, uh, chapter 9, verse 36. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless and like sheep without a shepherd. When this father saw his son, he didn't get angry. When his father saw his son, he didn't go and just ask somebody, what do I need to do about this? When this father saw his son, he didn't go inside and lock the door. When this father saw his son, he didn't ask one of his servants, escort this man off the property. No, when this father saw his son on the horizon, and think about that. How can you tell who somebody is on the horizon if you can't see their face? Many believe this son had a certain walk. He had a certain thing, the way he walked, to the way the father would be able to recognize him from the horizon. He doesn't do any of those negative things. But Scripture says this, he had compassion on him. His heart was moved. And folks, if you read the story, his heart isn't the only thing that's moving. His legs start moving. He starts running towards the sun. And I know that sounds, in our ears, wow, great. Some good cardio going on in this story. But in the ancient Near East, especially in this culture, running was undignified. Some of y'all are saying, man, I wish I lived back then. <laughs> Running was undignified, but it was especially undignified for an older man. Because to run, think about what they wore back in the day. Their robes that are so long, he would have to raise his robe and gird it around his waist. His, pretty much his legs, his flesh was very exposed. That was not common. So he would have to, to, to raise up his robe and run. This would be shameful for a person to do in this time. What is that showing us about this story already? It's saying the father is going to take shame 
for the Son. We see that in the Gospel. He runs to His Son. It says He embraces Him. He, he hugs Him. I, I want you to think about this right now. Where has this guy been for the past whoever knows when? He, he's been in the pig pen. He's been in a far country. They didn't have antiperspirants then. They didn't have deodorant. They didn't have any of that stuff. This guy stunk to hog heaven. He was dirty. He was nasty. He was disgusting. But the father goes to him, embraces him, and it says he just starts kissing him. Kissing him. And I know some of y'all know what I'm talking about. You kiss your babies. It doesn't matter how old they are. You, he starts kissing him. The, the usual verb for kiss in the New Testament is phileo, which is the kiss of greeting. But right here, there's a more intensive verb being used. It's called cataphileo. It signifies a demonstrative kiss backed by a great degree of emotion. Uh, literally, the text says the father showered him with kisses, offering him compassion, forgiveness, acceptance, and restoration. Just such a beautiful picture here of a father embracing his boy that has come home. Finally, we see number three. His love is extravagant. His love is extravagant. Look at verses 21 through 23. As soon as they embrace, the son says this, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on, the hand, on his hand, shoes on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it, let us eat and celebrate. It's interesting that the son, when he hit rock bottom, he, he had really uh, thought about what he had done. We see repentance in the words that he shared. But if you compare verse 21 with verse 19, you'll notice that something's missing. He confesses his sin. He says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But he doesn't get to say this. Treat me as one of your hired servants. He, he falls short right there. And some commentators are like, aha, uh, this guy didn't keep his word. And he's just saying what he has to say to get back in the house. No, he was, I, I believe he was going to say it. But I believe the father said, hush, hush. Why, why would that be? This son was not going to be treated as a hired servant. This son was going to be treated as a son. Then he says, quickly, go get the best robe. Quickly, uh, get the ring, get the shoes, get the fattened calf. Uh, do you see the expediency that the father has in restoring the son? You ever thought about that in this passage? That when you come uh, to repentance to the father, he doesn't say, okay, I'm just going to wait a little while to see if you're the real deal. I'm just going to wait. Maybe you need to go to church just a few more weeks. Uh, I'm going to wait. No, you don't see that. The father says, quickly, get the best robe. Quickly, get the ring. Quickly, get shoes. Fill the fattened calf. Dear loved ones, when you come to the father with a repentant heart, your restoration, your salvation is just like that. It is instant. The father doesn't waste any time. We have a good, good father but the father is going to make that very clear. This son's not a hired servant, but he is a son. He's just going to lavish him with extravagant gifts. Let's talk about those for a moment. 
the robe was reserved for the guest of honor, is called the best robe. Now, if this is the patriarch of the family, who does the best robe belong to? Him. This was the best robe in the house. This was the father's own robe. And he said, bring it and put it on him. This son showed up dirty, nasty, just pitiful. The father clothes him in royalty. The ring, it was the father's signet ring, which bore the family crest. It was a ring that, that could be used for authority and privileges for the family. Furthermore, just saying, this son is a part of this family. The shoes, the sandals, they're significant because slaves didn't wear shoes. Slaves didn't wear shoes. What have I already told you? This young man's not a slave. He is a son. We also see a feast prepared. Uh, the father orders the fattened calf to be prepared. And this wasn't something they just did every two weeks. This wasn't some, something they did every so often. They kept a calf on their premises and they would feed it well. Get it nice and fat. That way when they had a celebration, not just any celebration, but it would have to be somebody very important has come to town. Maybe one of the sons has just gotten married. That would be the reason for an event like this. But the father is saying, go get the fattened calf and kill it. We are going to celebrate. What is the reason for this celebration? We see that in verse 24. For this son, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Many believe, and this was actually a custom of the day, that when someone committed the sin that this young man did, pretty much leaving home, abandoning home, especially in the way he did, some families would actually have a funeral for their son because he was dead to them. But this father says he is no longer dead. He is alive. He's no longer lost, but he is found. As this father's love was extravagant for his son, folks, I want to let you know our heavenly father's love is extravagant for us. I've said this before, and I'm just being real with you. But if God said this, Malone, I forgive you, and I'm going to keep you out of hell. I would be eternally grateful just for that. I would praise his name just for that. But God, in his rich mercy and in his grace, he not only saves us from hell, he gives us so much more. By His grace, God lavishes us with His goodness. He, he says, I forgive you. He says, I, I'm going to save you from hell. The Scripture teaches this. He justifies us. The doctrine of justification. I'm not only forgiven. I'm not just a saved from hell. I'm not just going to heaven. I'm not going to be in heaven saying, oh yeah, that's just a forgiven guy over there. God let him in. No, the Bible says this. I am clothed in Jesus Christ's perfect righteousness. I am spotless. He gives us the Holy Spirit he calls us his sons and daughters. He not only says, oh yeah, y'all get to come in, your servants. I forgave you. I saved you from hell. Come over here and worship. No, he says, you are my son. You are my daughter. You are heirs. Come on in. Doctrine of adoption. He gives us eternal life in heaven. He not only saves us from eternity in hell, but he gives us eternity in heaven. 
He not only gives us eternal life, but I want you to hear this, folks. If you've been waiting, just putting the salvation on, for, uh, putting it on the back burner for your deathbed or whatever you're waiting on. He doesn't just give you eternal life. He gives you abundant life here and now. All of those things. You want to know what the greatest gift of all is? He gives us the gift of himself. We don't get to heaven and just say, oh yeah, the big man's up there. You have to, I've never seen him before, no. But this place is great, isn't it? No. We get to have perfect fellowship with God Almighty. Not just in heaven, but folks here and now. That's why we talk about having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You can have that today, if you don't already. Our Heavenly Father's love is extravagant. When we look at this story, as we come to a close, we've seen a father, we've seen two sons. We can definitely learn lessons from this father that we should have mercy and, and grace and be able to forgive like he does. We can be generous like he does. We didn't get to the older son. If I were to preach through this text, we'd have three different sermons. One on the younger son, one on the daddy, and one on the older son. Because there's a message there for all of them. But did you notice there's something missing in this story? Where is Jesus? Where's Jesus in this story? I see the father. I see two sons. Jesus definitely isn't one of those sons. He's not the son that goes off to the far country. He's not the stubborn, sinful son that stays home either. So where is Jesus in this story? I want to fill you in on a hint. Who's telling this story? Jesus. The one who tells this story is the one who makes this story even possible. Without Jesus, you can't have the embrace. You can't have the hug. You can't have the kisses. Without Jesus, there's no robe. Without Jesus, there's no ring. Without Jesus, there's no sandals. Without Jesus, there's no fattened calf. Without Jesus, you can't have any of those things. Because we we go back to this story, many people believe, okay, uh, I see a loving father here, but who's going to take care of the justice in this story? There's a lot of sin that has gone on in this story. You're just saying it's poof, gone, under the rug, like nothing happened? Technically, yes. But something has to take place for that to happen. His name's Jesus Christ. Just as the young man couldn't have what he had from the Father if it wasn't for Jesus, we can't have any of the things we have if it wasn't for Jesus. There's no forgiveness without Jesus. There's no restored relationship to the Father without Jesus. There's no robe of righteousness without Jesus. There's no sonship. There's no adoption without Jesus. There's no celebration. There's no heaven without Jesus. The Father demonstrated His love and made it available to us by Jesus Christ. Our God is perfect in love, but He is also perfect in justice. So I want to tell you this right here and now. Yes, there is a sin problem that had to be taken care of. God didn't just say, I pardon you. No. That pardon doesn't come without a price. Jesus Christ paid that price for everyone. He paid that price for you. He paid that price for me.
on the cross. There's one more amazing thing about our Heavenly Father that describes His love. And I hope you've heard this one before. But God the Father so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. You can't have the Father's love without Jesus Christ because He is the Father's love. Let us pray.